Uh, we're in this series that I've just called Good News. I didn't really have anything clever, and sometimes you just go with what it is. And I'm talking about good news and the idea that those of us who are followers of Jesus, and I know it's not all of you, some of you are still trying to figure out what you believe, some of you are still being drugged to spiritual environments like this by your friends or family or spouse, whatever the case may be, and you're still processing a lot of that. We're glad you're in this place. This is a great place to try to figure out uh, what it is you, you do believe, but I know most of you are already followers of Jesus, which means the gospel, even the word gospel, is important to you. And you know that whether you, or not you can define everything in, in the Bible, you know that the gospel means good news. And you've based your entire lives on good news. And yet, for whatever reason, um, and I, we know there are a few who were brought out in the series, but for whatever reason, sometimes our lives are just as sad and just as uh, have that hopeless feeling to the level that the people around us who don't know Jesus are experiencing. And that shouldn't be. We should be able to see things they don't see and be able to process things in a way others cannot, not because we're better but because we've accepted the fact that God's given us this good news that we've built our entire lives around. So we tried to look and see why is it that we struggle uh, being able to experience good news? Why is just smiling and having genuine happiness such a rare thing even for followers of Jesus? And there are a few reasons that we looked at, and we're going to look at another one here in just a moment. But I just want you to bow for a couple of seconds and pray with me. Uh, Father, we ask now that as we open your word that you would give us minds to understand, you give us hearts to believe, and you would give us hands that are willing to apply what it is you teach us. Speak to us, Lord. Your people are listening. Overwhelm us with your presence and meet us where we are. We thank you. We love you. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to look into the Bible. Um, this is one of those days I hope that some of you will take advantage of because you can actually find it in your Bibles quickly if you have one or even if you're using your phone to, to look. It's the first book of the Bible, uh, Genesis. So you can brag. Um, if I say it's going to be in Nahum or Habakkuk, you can just act like, uh, not today, I've memorized that one already. But get to Genesis and you want to show off. It's the first book of the Bible. We can all find that if you have a Bible. Uh, and by the way, if you do not own a Bible, um, it would be nothing, there'd be no better gift that you could give me than to say, hey man, I don't even actually have one. Uh, could you find me one or get me one? Yes, absolutely, yes, yes, yes. I would love to be able to get you one. So if you're in that spot and it just feels a little weird or awkward or even embarrassed to say to someone around you, I don't have a Bible or whatever the case may be, I would love to help you with that. Because if this time we spend together, I always say 20 minutes, but I'm well aware I keep you longer than that. But the 20 minutes that we open up the Bible and you allow me to speak to you, if that's your only interaction with God's word during the week, you're missing out. Um, and if this is all I had, my soul would be starving. And so I would encourage you to, to be in his word on your own, by yourself. And if you need help there, I would love to, to help you out. But even if you're not familiar with the Bible, the book of Genesis is the beginning. It's, it's the start there. And we're going to take a look at the life of a man or a portion of the life of a man named Noah. Now, when we talk about good news and bad news, we mentioned Noah. You're thinking, well, I get this. You know, the bad news is God's going to flood everything. The good news is Noah is saved through it all. And in a way, that, that's the story, but we're not going to, to focus on that aspect of it. But I want you to understand what's happening here, just to get caught up, especially if you're not familiar with the story. Uh, Noah was the one man, he led the one family that God decided to begin again with. 
God looked over all creation and his heart broke because his creation had turned on him. And there was no good news to see. He didn't look out and see, well, these families are doing this, and at least these people are doing this, and, and, and she's one of mine, and he's... There were just not people around living in ways that honored him. And God looked out, his heart broke, and he did something he would never, ever do again. He would promise to never do again, and that's to destroy it all. Because creation hadn't been around for that long, but there were enough people that it broke God's heart. He said, I'm going to begin again, and he chose Noah, just one man. He looked down and said, you have the goodness in your heart. That you're not perfect, but you have the goodness in your heart that I'm looking for. And it's reflected in the way you live your life. And I'm going to begin again with you. So we don't have any indication that Noah bragged about it or anything like that. Or said, well, of course, and I'm high and mighty and I am the great Noah. We don't have any of that. Uh, perhaps he was an incredibly humble man, but even the most humble of men, you're going to experience this and you're going to feel like you're at a different place. Um, so God said, I'm going to begin with you. And he shared that message with his wife and then ultimately with his kids. And they grew up knowing dad's the guy that God chose. Dad's the one that God said, I've got a special uh, mission for you. And his mission was to build this covering for his family called an ark, a boat. Build this great boat that's going to cover and protect his family when the flood came. So Noah worked for years and years, decades on this boat to protect themselves from something that no one else had really ever experienced before. What are you doing? Well, I'm going to be safe when the flood comes. What's a flood? I don't know. God said, build a boat. And so you've got all these questions along the way. You've got a lot of unanswered things happening in your lives. You've got a wife going, you're going to spend the rest of your life doing this. This is what we're doing. Like this is the plan. And kids going, dad, do you ever do anything other than just work on your boat? Like that's all you ever do. Let's go play ball. Let's, let's go play a sport. What's a sport? We're going to invent one. Let's just go do this together. Sorry, I got the boat. Like it was always the boat. And then when the flood came, his family said, Dad, thanks for the boat. <laughs> Thank you for the boat. Thank you for the covering, for the protection. And, and the family was able to ride this storm out. They were able to be saved through it all. And, and many of you know that part of the story. But God chose to begin again with him. And then after they survived the flood, after the waters receded, after the boat was on dry land, they were able to begin again. And, and actually, we're not going to look at this verse. It's in chapter 8. But I always found it a little bit uh, bittersweet for some of the people involved. I know animals don't process the way you and I do. Don't tell me your dog has a... No, the animals are animals. I've got a couple. I love them to death. And they have... You know, they've got feelings and emotions, and I get it, but they don't process the way we do, no matter how smart your dogs are or you know, whatever animal that you have. But the animals, at, at some level, are glad to be out of the rain. Um, they're being saved through this thing. God's going to begin again. He has all of these different species. You've got male and female of each one. And, and then at the very end, once they are on dry ground, Noah says, we got to worship. Yeah, we need to thank God for this. And so Genesis chapter 8 tells us he goes and finds a couple of birds and says, I'll just sacrifice these. I mean, can you imagine making it all the way to the end? You and all your little bird friends going, we made it, you know, we're, we're out, you know, we, we did the deal. And then Noah just picks you up and goes, you'll do, you know, just you know, heads off and not, let's sacrifice and blood poured out. You know, if I'm the other animals going, oh, oh that, was, that was tough. Like, let's just, let's get out of here. Let's run fast as we can because Noah is now killing everything that we say. 
But he has this moment of sacrifice to say, God, from the very beginning, you required blood sacrifices because of the pain that we caused you. And even though you've seen fit to save us, we're still going to worship, even more so than ever. So they worship, the birds are sacrificed, they have this time to celebrate. And then we get to chapter 9, and we've got a really, really interesting part of the story that um, many of you, I'm sure, are familiar with, but it's tough to know what to do with this. In Genesis chapter 9, verse 20, it reads, After the flood, Noah began to cultivate the ground, and he planted a vineyard. One day he drank some wine he had made and became drunk and lay naked inside his tent. It's a good memory verse there. I just lay naked inside his tent. Now, I'm not an expert on drinking, and I know you're thankful for that. Um, I, I don't know, but I think this level, there's just like, there's drinking, and then there's, I don't know where my clothes are, so I'll just lay here. I believe there are levels to this thing. Uh, I've never been in either, I'm thankful, but goodness, I mean, like, how drunk do you have to be to just say, I'll just, wherever I am is where I'm going to be, and the clothes, I'll just, they're optional at this point. Like, now, now, granted, there were not a lot of people on earth to see him, so maybe if I was one of eight people on the planet, I might be a little less modest, but this is still taking it to another level here. So Noah gets drunk, he passes out in his tent, no clothes on, just lying there, wasted away, literally. Now, he's not that far removed. I know it takes a while to grow grapes, but he's not that far removed from the miracle, from the protection, from the covering, from the worship. He's not that far removed from that, and yet now we find him in this predicament. It's not a great scene. And then in verse 22, one of his sons has a decision to make. It says, Ham, the father of Canaan, saw that his father was naked and went outside and told his brothers. Ham, granted, that's a funny name, I know, but Ham had experienced the covering of God, the protection of God, the goodness of God. He'd experienced all of that as God protected his family, as he watched God move and lead his father to do this wild thing that no one really understood until after the fact. And then Ham got it. It's like, my dad's not just a godly man. My, God, my, my dad's a hero. My dad is something to be revered and to be respected. And like he had this incredible experience. And now this one who has experienced all this good news in his life is confronted maybe for the first time since the flood with bad news. Like, dad's messed up. Dad made a bad choice. Now, I don't, we don't know exactly what the expectations were. Uh, we don't know exactly what Noah's wife expected of him. We don't know what time he was supposed to be home, what time he texted her and said, when I'll be home. Or We don't know any of those things. But we just know that this was not a good look. And this was not a good situation. And especially for someone that God had chosen to be his man to begin again with. So Ham has to deal with this bad news. Like, what do I do? Like, I know something about someone that I probably shouldn't know. What do I do with this news, this bad news? And his first inclination was to share it, <laughs> repost it, to tell it, get a screenshot and send it out. Like, I'm going to let other people know this. That was his first inclination. 
So he tells his brothers, and in verse 23 and 24, now his brothers have to figure out what to do with this good news, or bad news rather, that they have been confronted with. Verse 23, then Shem and Japheth took a robe, held it over their shoulders, and backed into the tent to cover their father. As they did this, they looked the other way so they would not see him naked. Again, we've got a little comedic moment here in Scripture when you try to vi- visualize how the whole thing unfolded. But Sham and Japheth have this moment where they now have this information that Ham shared with them. And they have to decide, what am I going to do? We know all the good news of God selecting our family, of God providing for our family, of God keeping our family safe, of God wanting to start everything over with our family. We will be the ones for the rest of history. People will know our family is where it all began again, if you will. This is a special, special time for us. And yet now we've got this bad news introduced into the story. Dad messed up. What are we going to do with this? We're either going to spread it, share it, tell it, let other people know, or we're going to cover this up. And literally, they decided to cover it up. Not in a a dishonest kind of cover-up way, but literally covering it up. So they grabbed a robe, and it says they even walked in backwards. They were so careful. They didn't want to, they didn't want to, you know, their father to know they'd seen him and probably didn't want to see him, to be honest. But he's lied there in the tent. And so they walk backwards with their robe and then they drop the robe over their dad and they walk out of the tent, carefully covering up the shame. So they chose to do something incredibly different than their brother Ham had done. In verse 25, Noah woke up from his stupor. He learned what Ham, his youngest son, had done. Then he cursed Canaan, the son of Ham. May Canaan be cursed. May he be the lowest of servants to his relatives. Then Noah said, may the Lord, the God of Shem, be blessed, and may Canaan be his servant. May God expand the territory of Japheth. May Japheth share the property of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. Ham chose to spread the shame, and it led to pain in his family. It led to division. It it broke up something that was beautiful in the family. Like He decided that he was going to let it be known what had happened, allow his dad's embarrassment, borderline shame to be projected out there so his family would know all about it. And as a result, it broke up his family. Shem and Japheth, on the other hand, decided to do their very best to cover up their dad's shame. And they experienced a blessing on the other end. Their family was never the same as a result of Ham's decision, but Shem and Japheth honored their dad the best they could, and he blessed them as a result. So the gospel, really, for you and me, is that God is willing to cover up our shame. Not act as if it never happened, not to say, well, there's nothing to see here, not to say, well, it wasn't so bad, it didn't hurt my feelings, just rather to say, this is not good, but I can handle it. This is not what I want of you, but I can deal with this. This is not the plan I had for you, but I'm not going to turn my back on you. I'm going to cover you up, and then when healing begins, We're going to work through this, and I'm going to stay with you through this. That's the good news of the gospel. 
that no matter what any of you have done, no matter what I have done in my entire life, God has never walked away from me. And he's always been willing to cover me up and say, come here, you need to be with me. We need to step away here. Let me work this out in your life. Let me cover this up. Let me help you towards healing. God never desires to put any of us up and say, look, laugh, make fun of, experience the shame. That, that was never, ever God's plan and never has been. God instead uses his conviction to draw us back in. The Holy Spirit calls us back, and at times it's painful, but it's painful because of how far we've gone, not because of the way that God brings us back. The Bible even says it's a kindness, his kindness that leads us to repentance, which means to turn around. God's literally pursuing us with goodness and mercy and kindness to bring us back to where he wants us to be. So that is the gospel. And I believe that an indicator of our relationship to the good news, an indicator of our connection to the gospel is how we handle bad news. An indicator of where I am in the gospel story is revealed by how I respond to bad news. Do I share it? Do I spread it? Do I make sure that people feel the weight of it and understand how big it is and how hard it is and how difficult it is and how disappointing it is? Or do I do what I can to respond based on the good news that God has given me? So what would that mean? What would it look like to respond to bad news with good news? I'm sure there's a lot, but I just want to share a couple of phrases with you uh, that may help your heart and mind begin to get wrapped around this. Covering bad news with the gospel first means maintaining humility. It means as I deal with the bad news, whatever the bad news is, that I am willing to choose humility and remind myself that this could have been me, that I could go through this too, that if I'm not careful, one day I'll be in the same position. Any of your friends, and we'll just let it be a friend, not you for a moment. Any of your friends who have gone through difficult times at one point in time thought that will never be me. I would never do that. I would never get away that far. I would never go to those links. No one ever said when they're 15 years old, by the time I'm 35, I hope I've wrecked my life. I, I hope I have made some poor, poor decisions and have just lived it up. That was never a part of the plan. But 10, 15, 20 years go by and you find yourself in places that you never thought you would be in. And if you and I are not careful, especially those of us who've experienced the good news, when we encounter bad news, it's easy to forget that and say, how could you? How could they? How could it ever happen? Instead of being willing to say, listen, I don't know why, but for whatever reason, I haven't got wrapped up, gotten wrapped up in that. Or maybe I have, but it's been years and years gone and, and God's removed me from whatever that is. Just maintaining humility through it all. The last thing people who are in the middle of their shameful moment need are for the people who should know the good news to step in and say, how dare you? How could you? It doesn't bring us closer to the person we want to be. In fact, it pushes us the other way. Maintaining humility. A second, also protecting dignity. Covering uh, bad news with the gospel means that I'm going to do whatever I can just to maintain some dignity and honor as I relate to this person. Now you say, well, they don't deserve honor. They don't deserve any dignity. Nope, none of us does. But they chose, Noah's kids chose to say, 
this is a bad look. But if we're ever going to be able to help dad through this, we need to at least do our part to protect his dignity, to honor him in some way. Not because he deserves it. He's let our whole family down. Like this was a bad look. Mama is going to be so, like, it, this is not going to be good. Dad is way too old to be acting this way. No, it wasn't 30. He was more like 130. Like th- there's no reason he should be doing this. He knew better. But regardless of that, we're going to cover this up and we're going to deal with this in time, but we're going to protect his dignity and honor the best we can. And when you and I encounter bad news, sometimes the first thing we do is want to make sure everybody else sees the low life that this person is or sees the depths to which this person has gone to hurt us or disappoint us or let us down or commit this uh, horrible offense, whatever it may be. And all that may be true, But you and I, those of us who've experienced the gospel, know that that's not how God deals with us. God doesn't put us on a a stage for the whole world to look at and to laugh at and to point at. He says, let me cover you with my grace. Let me step into the shadow for a moment. Let me hold on to you. Think for a moment what's going on. Let's work through this together. Let me protect you in this moment. And the third thing is striving for restoration. So when we're covering it, we're maintaining humility, protecting dignity, and then striving for restoration. In other words, there's a goal of bringing back together. Shame is there to push people away. When we cover shame, we're doing that because ultimately we want there to be restoration. If you and I are not willing to be a part of the restoration process, we need to keep our mouths shut. We don't need to say anything at all. I think that's why Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 4, 29, he says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, only what is useful, what is helpful for building up people around you. That's all you need to be saying, that it may benefit everyone who listens. If it's not encouraging, if it's not helpful, if it's not pointing towards restoration, then just stop saying it. Stop spreading it. Stop sharing it. Let it go. He says, let my people, the people of the gospel, be the people that kill off rumors and be the people that kill off all the junk and all the negative talk. Let it end with you. You be different. Close this thing up. That's hard to do. It's hard to implement. It's hard to practice in our lives. He says, I want you to be a part of the helping, a part of the healing process. Most of us, our first inclination is to be interested in negative stuff, to tell everybody, and then move on to the next negative stuff with no desire, no willingness to help someone through it. I mean, how many times do you read something negative and say, I'm going to go to his house today. I'm going to reach out and see what I can do to help because this is a messed up situation. No, we've usually told 70 or 80 people by the time we even reach out, if we do reach out at all. It's one thing to stand on the outside of a burning house and saying, man, you're going to burn up in there. That's another thing to say, there's hope out here. And if you can't get there, I'm coming inside to get you. That's two different things. We recognize there's pain. We recognize there's a problem. We recognize destruction, but I'm willing to do something about it. I'm going to step in and help out the best that I can. In Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7, I love this uh, reminder of what it is to bring good news. He said, how lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. 
He says, how good it is for people to bring good news, to say good things, to bring about something that's helpful. It's rare because it just doesn't happen a whole lot. I was in the car. Uh, my wife and I went to Mississippi and back yesterday to, to see my son. And as we were driving back, we were talking about stuff. And then at one point, we got to talking about uh, NFL players and divorce lawyers. And I thought, why do we even know this? Why, why is this a thing? Like, why, how is this helpful? Um, am, am I going to text Tom tonight and go, hey, bro, I'm here for you? Like, no, no. But we're going to drive around two strangers talking about what's going on. Like, why? It's not my business. If I can't help, I'm just going to be quiet. And to be honest, how many times have I dropped to my knees and said, Lord, I don't know what's going on in that house, but I pray you'd, you'd be honored in that. If they're not followers of Jesus, that you'd send somebody, that you would somehow reach out to them, that they'd recall something they heard or read years and years ago, and you'd help in this situation. Then I thought, why am I just interested in their situation? Maybe somebody in my neighborhood's going through the same thing, but they're not famous, so it doesn't matter. Like, that's messed up too. We're just not really that willing to help each other. But we'd love to talk about it. And if we're people of good news, then we ought to be the people where those things just stop and they end. And when stuff gets brought up, we're those awkward people, those bridge people, those weird church people who go, hey, have you helped out yet? No, well then stop talking about them. Like, say, well, that, that's just kind of messed up. Yeah, I know. But I would love to know people were standing up for me, wouldn't you? When your name's brought up in public, if there was a group of people going, hey, don't talk about her anymore. She's not here right now. You don't know what's going on. And that, that shuts things up pretty quickly. I'd love to be those kind of people. I would love for you down the road to find out that someone brought your name up in a negative way and I silenced them right there because you would know that I'm here for you. And I would love to know down the road if it ever happened to me that you'd be willing to go, hey, stop. You don't know what's going on. Just be quiet there. That's where it all ends. And where when we know there's bad news, we carry our blankets and we back into places and we cover it up and we say, now's probably not the time, but eventually I'm here. When you're thinking clearly, let's sit down, let's work through this together. Why would you do that? Because we're basing our lives on good news and the only way to overcome bad news is to handle it as people who know what the good stuff is. Now, I bring up this covering idea And interestingly enough, that's what Jesus says he's done for us. He was our covering. As Noah built this ark that covered his family, as God provided a way to cover Noah, in the same way, we were dead in our own sins. And God said, I'm going to make a way. I need to cover up your shame. And there's a word in the Bible called atonement that pops up every now and then. And it literally means to cover up, a covering for you and me. So I want to read a few uh, bits of scripture here as we begin to prepare ourselves to really work through this idea of atonement and even take communion together. Um, In Exodus chapter 30, verse 10, uh, speaking about the priest, it says, once a year Aaron will make atonement on its horns. This was the, the place where the sacrifices were made. And this annual atonement must be made with the blood of the atoning sin offering for the generations to come. It is most holy to the Lord. And then thousands of years later, Jesus showed up. And in Romans chapter 3, verse 25, it says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement, a covering. 
through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. And then in Hebrews chapter 2, it says, For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. This is what Jesus did for us. He looked at us in our shame, whether it was because of poor decisions, whether it was something immoral, whether it was a relationship, whether it's an addiction or the pornography, whatever it is that you're wrapped up in or were wrapped up in, God stepped in and said, I want to cover this up. And I want you to know how deeply I care about you and how much I love you. I'm going to cover this up, not because it doesn't break my heart, but because I love you more than I love the appearance of who you thought you were or who other people thought you were. I love the real you, junk and all. And so I'm going to cover you up and then I'm going to bring you to, and then we're going to work through this because you have more to live than for this. And there's a better life that I have for you, but we're going to cover this up to begin with. So what we're going to do here in a moment is have the Lord's Supper together and take this communion And as we do that, understand that that blood and that body is a covering for you and me.